We're back for another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Meadow Schmelk, you at 201-939-4513. We're here until 1. Well, we'll say goodbye, and then Lance and Fiegels will wrap up. Um, I have two consecutive days to wrap up our week on Thursday and Friday. A couple guests coming your way. Rick Stroud in a couple of minutes covers the Bucks for the Tampa Bay Times. We'll have him as we continue our team matchup series throughout the only couple teams left, the Titans and yeah, the Indianapolis Colts. We'll knock, the those, wire here. knock those off Thursday or Friday, and then we uh, roll towards training camp. Uh, the select veterans and rookies will report on Sunday. They'll have a couple of practices that are not open to the media. But we'll be there from Monday uh, through Wednesday. I'll have a little report on Wednesday about kind of everything I saw across the three days. We'll kind of condense it into one report. And then uh, the veterans show up on Wednesday after conditioning test. And we have um, everything starting on Thursday. Then to close out today's show, we'll be joined by Tim Lester, an interview Lance and I recorded yesterday. He was Sam Beal's. Uh, head coach at the University of Western Michigan. So a lot coming your way today. And in between those two guests, we'll try to squeeze in a couple calls at 201-939-4513 or on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat if you would rather participate that way. And Lance, we opened up Monday show talking about the franchise tag. We didn't really have a chance to discuss it after the deadline passed, but none of those four players did, in fact, sign a long-term deal. They'll all play under their tag this season. Yeah, and we discussed this on Monday with respect to Le'Veon Bell, probably of all those four players, at least the urgency factor there for the Steelers to try to lock him up. And according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, they had offered him a deal which was in the ballpark of five years, 70. He decided he did not want to take that. Really? So How much guaranteed? Play under the franchise did he have a number guaranteed? Just over 30 guaranteed was he the report. He said no to that. said huh? no to that, yeah. But part of the rationale, That's be a mistake. at least from his age, I agree. I think it's going to be very difficult for him to get that offer if he tests the market next uh, season. He'll be another year older and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. $14.5 is the franchise tag. That offer comes out to an average of about $14 million per year if you go over the cross the five years. I mean, it all depends how it's structured, too, with where the guaranteed yeah. money is, how easily can the Steelers get out of that contract. So I, I get it depending on how it was structured, but running back just don't get a lot of interest in the free agent market is kind of just the well, way it is especially that type of money. We're talking about yeah. if he would have taken that contract, he would have been the highest paid running back, average annual salary in the NFL right now. So, I mean, that puts things in perspective, but he's banking on himself, which, I mean, I respect to well, some he's degree. He's not really but banking on himself. I mean, he can't do any better. I mean, he's almost the best running back in football, right? Well, but remember, we talked about this on Monday. Yeah. He only played one season of 16 games. I so guess. this is another season where he could prove his durability. I think he's more betting on the market to develop for running backs because we, have, we, haven't, we haven't seen that yet. We've seen it in the draft a little bit. We haven't seen it in the free agent uh, pool yet, which is different as running backs get older. Things change. Anyway, um, we'll talk about that a little bit later and take your calls at 201-939-4513. But for now, we'll say hello to our first guest on today's show. That's Rick Stroud. He covers the Bucks for the Tampa Bay Times, and he joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Rick, you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow up here in East Rutherford, New Jersey, inside the Giants training facility. Thanks for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, we're about a week left where all of us actually have lives that we can identify <laughs> before the season starts, and we all kind of grind it out for seven days a week. Um, big picture, Tampa Bay, Rick, before we get into some of the nitty-gritty details on the players. Um, the impression from the outside looking in is this is a do-or-die season for this Bucks hierarchy. Uh, do you think that's true? And how good does the team have to be for both the general manager and the head coach to be back next year? Well, I mean, yeah, it is It is do or die, uh, I think, for both of them. And uh, Dirk Cutter and Jason Light, Jason's, you know, going into his fifth year. Look, this team had made the playoffs, you know, in 10 seasons. So um, there are always expectations. And I, I think that, 
you know, a lot was put on them last year. Uh, they got over their skis a little bit. Hard knocks probably didn't help them a whole <laughs> lot, but the injury to Jameis Winston uh, was, was a real thing. He played hurt three weeks. He missed three weeks. And now, you know, the whole season comes down to whether they can survive this suspension or not, I think, in many ways. Um, you know, Jameis is going to miss the first three games for violating player conduct policy. That means Ryan Fitzpatrick will be their starter most likely. Their first three games are brutal at New Orleans, home against the uh, world champion Eagles, and then a Monday night game against Pittsburgh and and in Tampa. Wow, that is rough, um, man. Yeah, you fall too far behind in the NFC South. Those are three teams that made the playoffs and all have either MVP or Super Bowl quarterbacks. It's going to be tough. Yeah, the NFC South is extremely deep. I think it's arguably the deepest division in the NFL, so I think that's a real good point. You almost hope you just get one out of those three if Fitzpatrick's the quarterback. That is a tough situation, Before you get into the meat and potatoes of the divisional schedule. On the topic of Jameis Winston, Rick, you mentioned he was hurt last year for three games, out for the first three games this season. I know Ryan Fitzpatrick helped them get to 2-1 and last year by missing those three games, but what is the mindset of the organization about Winston for the long term? You know, are they down on him? Is this a red flag, or do they feel they can overcome this and still believe he's the franchise quarterback? Well, they're disappointed for sure. I mean, this is the scenario that they uh, or you know were hoping would not occur. I mean, they did a lot of due diligence. You know, I, I will maintain this was a Lovey Smith pick more than a Jason Light pick, but um, you know that that aside, I mean, this is a guy that's had you know accusations uh, of this nature you know twice in four years. And then this one occurred right after his rookie season. Now, you know, he has shown signs of turning his life around, I guess you would say, at least uh, from an optic standpoint. Um, you know, he had a son. He's going to get married. Um, he does a lot in the, in the community with his uh, Dream Forever Foundation. Um, you know, working out and, and being ready to play has never been an issue. But, you know, if you read his statement, um, he indicates that there was a problem with alcohol and that he's, he's quit drinking. He's going to have to submit some kind of counseling. Um, so there are there are concerns, and not the least of which is, you know, they picked up his fifth-year option. So that means, you know, next season, 2019, he's under contract uh, for almost $21 million, but it's guaranteed only against injury. Well, if you play him uh, and he goes out there and tears his ACL, you know, you're on the hook for that. So do you try to, you know, sign him to a, a more cap-friendly contract? Uh, you know, there's a lot of questions about James. I think the overall, you know, the, the ownership really likes this guy. Um, they're not forgiving what he did, but you know, by the same token, he still has a chance. He has a chance to to play better. He's going to have to play lights out, in my opinion, when he comes back, and he will have missed a month, so that won't be easy. Um, he'll have one home game in the first nine weeks, uh, as it turns out. So you know, a lot is still on him, but uh, you know, if he if he's able to uh, you know to post or help them get a winning season and and or into the playoffs somehow, then certainly they would move forward with him. Yeah, and I think hidden. In the Bucks, frankly, bad record last year. They're only three and ten of the games Winston played in. He played pretty well. His completion percentage dropped, uh, went up again to almost a sixty-four percent. He still had the eleven interceptions. But if you look at some of the metrics on on his making big-time throws down the field and you know y- you know yards per attempt, yards per completion, those went up again. Uh, from years past, which is usually a uh, a pretty telling sign of how well a quarterback is playing. Do they see the progress they want to see from him on the field, taking all the off-the-field stuff off the table for a second, in terms of him growing as a quarterback, being more efficient, making big plays, but at the same time protecting the football? Well, yeah, I think they do. I mean, he's gotten better every year, and, and I think, you know, 
you said it, it's decision-making and protecting the football. You know, the interceptions weren't um, as uh, prolific as his earlier seasons, and yet he still had a lot of uh, really uh, critical fumbles, um, you know, hanging on to the ball. And, look, this will be the best football team he's ever played for here. Um, you know, they've done some things on the offensive line. They went and got Ryan Jensen from the Ravens. They're moving Ali Pet back to guard. You know, the big difference uh, for the Bucks has to be the running game. They didn't have one last year. I mean, they averaged 3.7 yards a carry. Doug Martin is out of here. They bring in Ronald Jones, who's a second-round pick from USC that's a home-run hitter. They had no explosive plays in the running game a year ago. This gives them a chance to do that with Peyton Barber, who can run tough inside. Um, you know, they're hoping that they can, you know, come close to maybe matching what the Saints have in Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. Um, and then, you know, you look at their weapons, I mean, offensively, um, you know, you've got guys all over the field and Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson should be better in his second year. They hope he's not getting younger, but he still is fast. Um, Chris Godwin is a player that I think is going to be a, a force in this league as a number one or two receiver. And, you know, their tight ends are Cameron Brayton, and OJ Howard had six touchdowns East last year. So they've got weapons. It's just a matter of, can they take the pressure off the quarterback? He is getting better. Um, can he make better decisions? And like I said, he's got to overcome not being in the building for four weeks. Which is obviously key to stay focused on the offense and you know be ready to come back and also watch what the team is doing in his absence. You brought up the running game, Rick. You know, and you mentioned they brought in Ronald Jones through the draft last year. It was like a merry-go-round in the backfield. Part of it was injuries. Part of it was because Doug Martin was sidelined. How important is it for them? You know, not just to have better play out of the offensive line, but to have some continuity with the personnel in the backfield, which also I believe was a factor in why the running game has struggled so much. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly that. I mean, you know, we started last year with Doug Martin missing the first three games with the suspension. <laughs> yeah. So that's part of, the, uh, part of the lack of continuity you talk about. Uh, Doug Martin was a disappointment on and off the field. I mean, you know, after he got the contract, um, you know, he really didn't do much. I mean, three out of the last four years, he failed to rush for even 500 yards. You know, the other guys, Jacquez Rogers is a journeyman, you know, occasional third down back, plays special teams. Uh, kind of a pros pro. Charles Sims has been nicked up. He can he can play on third down. Um, you know, it, it it takes a village down here, it seems, to run the football. <laughs> but I think, you know, offensive line has, has been an issue, too. They, they just weren't very physical a year ago, and that's why they went and got guys like Ryan Jensen, who, you know, plays beyond the, the echo of the whistle. And, um, you know, they drafted a kid named Alex Kappa, um, you know, from Humboldt State, um, who – you know, is a big physical, uh, aggressive uh, player as well. Um, so they're, they're trying to reestablish some of that up front. But I think you guys know that how much an elite running back and, and getting explosive plays in the run game can open things up for you. And, um, you know, if Ronald Jones can, can do what I think they think he can do, um, it can change your offense. You know, I, I've seen lesser backs down here in, in Cadillac Williams, you know, who – you know, had some some good games early in his career. Carry a team with Brian Greasy to a four and four and one five and one record. So, you know, it just depends on on how you play. And then overall, you know, running the football helps your defense. And really, the defensive side of the ball is where this team has has, has spent most of their off season. And and you guys are very familiar with Jason Pierre-Paul, and they get Denny Curry and Bo Allen from the Eagles and Mitch Ryan from the Bears. So they've rebuilt that defensive line. And they're hoping that that's what's gonna gonna drive the bus. I want to follow up real quick on Ronald Jones. Do you see him as a bell cow? You know, he came out of USC. I think if he didn't hurt his hamstring in the you know the post 
season pre-draft process, I think he could have been a first-round pick. Uh, that's how much I liked him at USC. You know, he doesn't weigh a lot. He's not a heavy back, but he carried the load at USC. Do you see him as a guy that's going to get 20 carries a game, or is he going to be somebody that they maybe only give 60% of the workload to? How do you think that's going to work? I think some of that will be on him, you know, whether he can play third down. I mean, you know, um, in this league, that's the biggest transition for running backs yep. is pass protection, and, and you don't want him to, you know, to miss on that. Um, if he can stay on the field, uh, I, I think he will be their primary back. Uh, you know, initially, um, you know, they, they may have more of a distribution of carries, but, look, you don't take a guy like that um, if you if you don't think he can handle the load. And he runs. Even though he's not the biggest guy in the world, he runs bigger than, yeah. than his actual measurements um, behind his pads, and he's, he's more physical than I think most people realize. So, you know, they're hopeful. I mean, we'll see. You know, when they when they when they play the games, I mean, sometimes it's shocking to those guys to see how fast and how hard they hit in the NFL. Um, but uh, you know, but they have they have high hopes for Ronald Jones, and I know I know Dirk Cutter wants to run the ball and get back to being balanced. That's what you have to do. I have one more question, Rick, on the offense before we uh, switch gears a little bit. The Giants, and it's been more than in New York, so much has been made about Eric Flowers at left tackle and how much he's struggled. And I feel like it's not identical, but I think it's it's a little similar how Donovan Smith was kind of foisted into that left tackle spot maybe a little bit before he was ready, and I think he's had some bumps on the road along the way. How has he progressed since his rookie year, and how confident are the Bucks in him protecting Winston's and Fitzpatrick's in the first three games blindside this year? Well, they're way more confident than the fans are, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, you know, Donovan, Donovan, for whatever reason, has gotten a lot of grief. And, you know, it, you know the, the advent of pro football focus points out every pressure you give up. Yep. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's part of it, too. But, you know, when you talk to George Warhop, their offensive line coach, and, and, you know, maybe it's his guy and that's why he says it, but he, he thinks this guy is, is going to be one of the better left tackles in the NFL. Um, now, you know, he's got to prove it. He's going into his fourth year. I think they're going to, you know, this will tell, too, if they sign him to an extension, which I think is, is probably in the cards. Some people think he should play another position. All I know is that he shows up and plays every snap, yes. um, you know, and that's hard to do against – the elite pass rusher every single Sunday uh, of an NFL career. And uh, he has gotten better. You know, he's, he's, he's still not, you know, a top, you know, 10 left tackle necessarily. Um, but but uh, they, have, they have a ton of confidence in him to the, to the, you know, to the extent that they haven't drafted anybody um, really to come in here and, and play tackle. So I, I, think, he'll, I think he'll get better, and, um, and, and I know they like the fact that he's there every Sunday. We're talking with Rick Stroud, who covers the Bucks for the Tampa Bay Times. I know John alluded to us switching to defense. I'm actually going to throw one more offensive question your way, Rick. Related to the offensive line, the tight end position, which you brought up. And Cameron Braid and O.J. Howard, I thought, and you touched on this, really provided a nice one-two punch for Jameis Winston last season. Howard, to me, is still intriguing because if you look at his numbers from last year, Rick, not a huge sample size, 26 receptions on, what, 39 targets. But as you mentioned, he had six touchdowns. How much do you see his role expanding this season, given the fact that he didn't have a lot of targets last season? Well, I mean, I think there's a, there, there's a lot that O.J. Howard can get better at. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, running routes, catching the ball, getting open is part of it. But he, he's their inline blocker, too. So, you know, they put a lot on his plate as a rookie, and he struggled, you know, with technique, and and um, he he has to improve 
really in all areas of the game. But I mean, you know, the guys, the guys, the force of nature. I mean, he's six six. He can he can you know run a four five. I mean, he um, you know is can out can out leap people in the red zone. He had six touchdowns last year with just the twenty what twenty six catches or so. Um, and you know, amazingly, in a few plays, they lost them all together. He just kind of came out of the backfield and. And uh, I think yeah, that happened against the Giants. Actually, that was right against the Giants. That play, yeah, yeah. And and when I watch practice and I see what they do with him, you know, they're they're running tight end screens. They're, you know, uh, they're putting him, you know, all over the field. And um, you know, I I think if he goes from you know twenty six to forty five catches or so, you know, the problem is you only have one football. Yep. And we've talked about Ronald Jones and Mike Evans and. Deshaun Jackson and, and Chris, you know, Godwin and Cameron Brake, who's, you know, had 14 touchdowns in the last two seasons himself. So, you know, they have sort of some, some riches on the offense. But to me, I think you guys hit it on head. This guy's going to be a special player, in my opinion. He's a young player. He's a guy that, you know, played at a small high school. We know Saban could have used him more probably in the passing game in Alabama. So, you know, when he learns to read coverages and, catch balls in traffic and touch, you know, trust his hands and things like this, I think he's going to be one of the best tight ends in the league. All right, I'm going to switch gears to the defense now, and boy, it's hard not to love on paper what the front seven looks like for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. JPP, Gerald McCoy, Vita Vea, who everyone thinks is going to be a dynamite defensive tackle, Vinnie Curry, uh, Quan Alexander, Levante David, and Noah Spence is your third pass rusher. I mean... You talked about them trying to get back to basics, run the ball on offense. It looks like they're trying to win the trench battle on defense as well, but they got a heck of a group of players in their front seven. Yeah, that's that's where they spent their time, and I think they got fortunate because when the offseason began, you know, no one could be sure that Jason Pierre-Paul would be available in a trade or Vinnie Curry, uh, you know, would, would become a free agent. And so, you know, they wanted to get bigger inside. Um, you know, clearly, you know, Vita Vea uh, enables them to do that, um, especially in the run game. You know, to be a good pass rush team, you got to stop the run. Yep. Um, they didn't do that consistently, That's and, and they were horrible uh, on the edges, you know, and that's why you end up with 21 sacks or something like that last year, which was which was just awful. And so, you know, I, I do think that this is the best. Now, again, it, it's all on paper. I talked to Gerald McCoy. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's prone to say, well, they finally got you help. They finally got you help. And he's like, quit saying that. It's, it's you know, the Bucks have help. It's not about me. Um, but we know it's kind of about him because everyone's still going to double-team Gerald McCoy. But if you get, if you think you're going to block, you know, only put two hands on Vita Vea, it's going to be a long day. Oh, yeah. So, you know, this, guy's, this guy is enormous and he's quick. And, and so they have the ability to rotate much like the Eagles did. They've got two Eagles players that, that played in that system, you know, and we're used to coming off uh, the bench in different schemes with Bo Allen and Benny Curry. Noah Spence, if his shoulder is right finally after two surgeries, can be used probably the way he needs to be, which is a designated pass rusher. And look, you guys know more about Jason Pierre-Paul than I do. All I know is he played over 1,000 snaps last year. Um, He had eight and a half sacks, which would have led this team. And he's back in Tampa where he went to USF. He seems motivated. He'll have to get himself in really good shape. He knows what it takes to play in this heat. Um, but if you can have a legitimate edge rusher to go with Gerald McCoy, you got a chance. And you're Rick, just real quick on JPP, 
one of his strengths, and frankly, I think he's a better run stopper than he's ever been a pass rusher. His 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 sacks, and I'm not sure if it'll be the case with the Bucks, have always kind of come in bunches. Like he'll have a couple games with two or three sacks, but then he'll maybe go six or seven weeks where you don't, you don't really see a lot from him on the edge. But he was even with the hand, he was a pretty darn consistent edge setter. And if they're really trying to stop the run up there with their defensive ends, he'll be a real big help with that. Yeah, I would agree. I think they're excited about that, and they, they need to stop the run. And teams attack them a lot on the perimeter. They attack them everywhere, actually. And, you know, so, um, I mean, I, I think that they – I think that's the biggest difference in their football team. And, look, you know, football hasn't changed a whole lot. I mean, we know it's a passing league and the rules and all that. Um, but you still have to have to control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And it was embarrassing last year for them. And um, I think Mike Smith uh, – had seen enough, and, and uh, so they've gone all in, and we'll see if it pays off. Well, as you mentioned, a lot of changes in the front seven. The secondary, for the most part, though, Rick, seems to be returning from last season. Brent Grimes, I mean, I hate to use the cliche, Rick, but like a fine wine, he seems to be getting better with age every time I watch him produce a different team when he's on the field versus when he's missing time. How much more gas does he have in the tank? And, you know, how much younger do they potentially need to get in the secondary, which it seems they did through the draft a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Grimes is a guy they really wanted back, and they signed him to a one-year deal, and he, he is a guy that plays much younger than, what's he going to be, 35? I mean, he, he yeah. has an unbelievable athletic ability. If you've ever seen this guy jump or play basketball, it's crazy. Um, so, you know, when he's on the field, they're a different defense in terms of the way teams can attack him. Now, he did miss three games and, uh, last year, I believe, and, you know, uh, if you've been around the league, you know that players rarely get healthier and, and, and more athletic as they get older. So, um, you know, that's that's always a concern. Where they need to get better, um, you know, Vernon Hargraves needs to be better. He was a first-round pick that's had one career interception so far. He got injured, had a hamstring issue all last year. He's going to get a chance to start outside. When they go to three wide or nickel, he's going to move inside to the slot, kind of the way Rondy Barber used to do it. And that's when the, the rookies got to make a difference. They got Carlton Davis from Auburn, who's a who's a long player, six foot one. Somebody they don't have that body type. He's been really really impressive um, in in the off season so far. Picked up things really quickly. Either him or MJ Stewart, who came on late in the in the uh, mini camps and and, and such. Um, another rookie uh, will battle it out and, and see you know who can be that third corner. Uh, and then you know if they're if they're a little light, it's probably at safety. I mean, they really love Justin Evans and what he did as a rookie at A&M last year. He's got tremendous range, sideline to sideline. You really cover the field. Um, but, you know, the other safety position is still, you know, we're looking at Chris Conte and, and Keith Tanney, who's a journeyman, and, yeah. you know, uh, they drafted a kid. So, you know, it's, it's not a complete secondary, but, you know, the guys up front can make their jobs a hell of a lot easier than it was last year. You know, Rick, it's funny. When the Giants drafted Eli Apple, there was a large segment of Giant fans that were really upset they didn't take Vernon Hargraves because for the most part during <laughs> that draft process, I'm serious, during that draft process, um, he was generally rated ahead of Apple. Now he's a smaller guy, Apple's to the longer corner. Uh, but I really think yeah. for both these guys, ironically enough, this year, I'm not going to say make or break, but it's going to go a long yeah. way to determining what direction both these guys' careers are heading in. They need to play better in year number three. Yeah, and you know this. I mean, they, you know, some guys take longer. I sure. Don't, you know, whether it's on the field, off the field, I don't know that it, and I don't have any empirical evidence of this, but I don't know that it was a good thing that Hargraves came home. He's from Tampa. Mm. 
Um, sometimes when you come home, you need you need to maybe be away from your guys. You know, <laughs> um, I don't think he took football you know as serious as maybe he needs to. Mm. I've talked to him a bunch of times, and he does not you know pass the buck. I mean, he knows that he has not played up to expectations. Right. Um, he has worked hard this off season. He's had some off field embarrassing things that showed up on Instagram for we don't know how long ago. Um, but you know, the, he knows the spotlight is on him, and if he's got any pride. You know he'll he'll ball his fist up and play better. I mean, I'm not going to make this comparison because this guy might go to the Hall of Fame one day. But Rondy Barber was the worst corner I ever saw when he was a rookie. I'm not lying about that. I mean, he just was. Um, and you know, we know what kind of career he had. So you know, some players, um, whether it's the lifestyle or you know, they find out real quick how much they love football or they love being in the NFL more than they love you know being great. I mean, all that is a part of this game and. This is the year that Vernon and I would think Eli Apple have to decide, you know, is this something you think you can make a career or are you just kind of hanging out for three or four years? Rick, uh, final question for me, and then I'll Lance take you the rest of the way. Boy, I'm sure you have the number because it's been etched into your brain and your soul, but how many games has place kicking cost the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the last two or three years, and do they finally have it figured out? Um, I don't have that number off the top of my head. It's too many. I stopped counting probably about three seasons ago. Um, and, you know, and it's funny because it's almost like you can go this far back. It's the curse of Matt Bryant, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, they they let him go one year, uh, and you know, for uh, Nugent, and it, it went south. And Matt Bryant's like a hundred years old and still making field goals for Atlanta. Yep. So you kind of chase the kicker thing and that's that's where some organizations are you know it's like the police you don't think about it till you need one but um you know it's it's been it's been a curse and it, you know they they tried drafting Rivera a while and that was an unmitigated disaster and you know they brought in Nick Folk and he caught the disease as well and they went back to Patrick Murray who did okay but he's not a big strong leg guy and so you know now it's going to be Ken uh, Zaro who you know, has has shown great ability. Um, you know, wherever he's been with Philly and, and and the Cardinals. Now, you know, he's he's got to do it in the in the elements down here. Um, you know, there's no snow, but it can get pretty windy and rainy and all kinds of things. And he's got to stay away from whatever it is that they have in that special teams meeting room that's that's making these guys miss field goals. But you know, it's uh, it's a problem. I mean, these games are too close. They yeah. come down to one yeah. score extra points and you know so they they hope they have it figured out but but we all know you can just hear the natural skepticism just bleeding out of mike's eyes as he's like i just don't want to have to watch this again (laughs) it's so bad that i mean how many guys did it practice in shark field goals i mean we do that i mean that's how bad this has become it's like you know hey oh they're kicking now let's see how many they miss you know it's 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 just gotten to that level yeah well, it's funny because I remember the Giants-Bucks game. We were talking about the O.J. Howard play, Rick, and Nick Folk had a very rough game, and then he wins it at the end, but that was one where you weren't even confident it was going to go through the upright because it just no made way. it. No way, no. And I'm looking at the schedule, seven games the Bucks lost, Rick, last year by six points or less. Oh, so, wow. you know, you go back and you look at that. Listen, I'm, I'm sure you've watched the games much closer than we did. Not every game necessarily came down to kicking, but, you know, you're talking about maybe four games you hit a field goal, maybe you go to overtime, maybe you win the game, maybe it comes out differently. 
Well, and that's it. I mean, they were three and seven uh, in the in the games that were decided by one score or less. And you know, the Atlanta Falcons were six and four and made the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the margin of error right there. You know, uh, in those same in those same one score games. And so, it is it is a huge part of the game. And and um, you're going to play close games in this league, and you have to have confidence in the guy. And it changes, you know, whether you go for it on fourth down or you got a chance to you know put three points up here or there early in the game. I mean, they all add up in the end, but I think about the Patriots game when the Bucks were firing in the end zone, you know, on the last play instead of kicking a field goal to win it because they missed three kicks in that game. I mean, yeah. you can go on and on. And, and, you know, seasons have momentum. Games have momentum. Uh, and I think when you, when you lose some games, especially early, um, because of some missed field goals, um, it can really set you back. We're talking with Rick Stroud, who covers the Bucks for the Tampa Bay Times. Rick, before we let you go, just big-picture perspective, and you mentioned how strong and deep the NFC South is. You know, John and I have had a lot of conversations. The NFC just looks like a gauntlet this year. you got three teams in your division that you cover that made the playoffs last year. What do you make of the South? Do you see anybody falling off, or do you think those three teams that got to the postseason are just going to be as strong as they were in 2017? Boy, it's tough to know who's who's going to be uh, not good. You know, um, I I think that uh, I think all those teams improved themselves, and you know, I mean, the Saints have had some tough uh, early goes of it. You know, they they lost their first two games last year. They're not going to have Mark Ingram early. You just keep wondering, you know, when when the expiration date comes up on Drew Brees. But um, you know, Cam Newton is still a force. Um, you know, it's a matchup thing. It's it's interesting. It's like sometimes. You know, the Carolina doesn't match up, or the Atlanta doesn't match up well with Carolina, but the Bucks match up, you know, okay with the Saints, and but maybe not with Atlanta, you know. So this is just the division they're in, and I don't see any drop-off with those quarterbacks, though. I mean, nope. you know, I'm not betting against Drew Brees not throwing for five or 6,000 yards, and I'm not betting against, you know, Cam Newton not finding a way to, to, uh, get, to get the ball in the end zone. So, um, you know, if I had to guess, I mean, I would still say that, you know, overall Atlanta might have, you know, top to bottom, you know, the best program going right now. But they're going all in with Sean Payton. You know, you look at what they've done in the offseason. They know that Breeze has not got that many years left. And I think the Saints are going to make a big run for it again. Rick, great stuff. We really appreciate it. Fantastic stuff. Uh, we'll see you. On November 18th, that might be your first taste of some cold weather during the football year. Hopefully it won't be too bad for all our sakes. And we look forward to seeing you up here in New Jersey. Thanks a lot, Rick. Looking forward to coming to New York, guys. Take care. Yeah, Rick, we'll talk to you down the road. Appreciate it. Rick Stroud, Tampa Bay Times, does a great job. Um, Really good information there out of the Bucs. And if they were just not in the NFC South, I'd feel really good about them You know, having a chance of making a playoff run. They're just in such a tough division. And now with... I mean, he rattled up those first three games without they're not going to have Jameis Winston. Good luck winning one of those games. Now, listen, compared to other teams, I'm not trying to get everybody excited. It's better to have Ryan Fitzpatrick than a lot of other sure. backups. So it's not uh, a terrible yeah. position to be in, but you're right. It's it's a tough schedule off the bat. And, you know, as Rick mentioned, you dig yourself in a 1-2 hole, an 0-3 hole. Really doesn't matter how great you do the rest of the season. That could very well be the difference between missing and making the playoffs. So the margin for error is minute non-existent for the Bucks in the early stages of the season. And I agree. I, you know, I look at that division. Every single one of those teams has 
an answer at quarterback, which means you can't expect them, you know, of course, barring an injury, for things to just dramatically fall off. And we were looking at some of these other divisions and who's likely to get a wild card. And, you know, NFC South could very well have three teams again in the playoffs. Heck, Lance, take a look at the whole. And again, by the way, our phones are open at 201 939 4513. In about eight minutes, we're going to talk to Tim Lester, head coach of Western Michigan. He coached Sam Beal, the Giants' third round supplemental draft pick this year. And that'll close out the show. But we got about eight minutes between now and then if you want to get in, we'll squeeze in some calls again, 201 939 4513. Or Twitter, if you want to go to hashtag Giants Chat. Lance and I will uh, navigate that um, as well. If you go through the entire NFC here, Lance, you tell me the team that in their own mind doesn't believe their, star- their starting quarterback this year is also their franchise quarterback. Within the NFC? Yeah. Go through the whole conference. Eagles, check. Cowboys, check. Redskins, check. Giants, check. Vikings, check. Lions, check. Packers, check. Bears, we don't know about Trubisky yet, but they believe he's their franchise quarterback. We could pass over the South because we know that We just talked about those four teams. And in the West, Goff, check. Wilson, Seahawks, check. Garoppolo, they just gave him a bajillion dollars, check. And then the Cardinals with Rosen. And they drafted Josh Rosen. So pretty much everybody in the conference, yeah. I mean, when's the last time in the NFC we saw that overall level of quarterback play? And if you look at the guys, they're not even that old. I mean, oh, who's a lot of old in that, that group? Yeah. You have Drew Brees, who's a little bit old, but not... Eli. Eli. And I guess Alex Smith is the third oldest guy? Is anyone else even over 30? That's I a mean, good question. Stafford well, what, and Ryan, Ryan are close. Yeah. They're in their, they might be but 30 Ryan's on the dot. young enough where no, he's No, they both have, have a decade yeah. in front of them of playing yeah. football. So, boy, and look, it's more than just a quarterback. I get that. But it's a big part of it. So, the NFC right now is in real good shape. And just compare it then to the AFC. we got a lot of teams that still have a lot of questions at quarterback down the line. You know, you think of all the rookies got drafted. The the Bills, they have Allen. The Browns, they have Mayfield. The Jets, they have Darnold. All those guys went to AFC teams. So I'm telling you, the NFC is going to be really tough for a very long time unless some of these quarterbacks just implode. Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, we're trying to think about is 9-7 and going to do it? Is 10-6 and six going to do it? Yeah. And this could very well be a year where you've got to win at least 10 games to get into the postseason. It would not surprise me one bit. If you look at last year, the two wild card teams, Carolina and Atlanta. Carolina won 11 games last year, John, and was one of the wild card teams, and Atlanta won 10. I'm expecting it in all likelihood to be the same exact thing this season. I don't think nine wins is going to do it, mainly because of how deep this conference is. Or, as you mentioned, there's stability at quarterback across the board. Will the depth of the conference and the fact that it's so good flatten out the records a little bit? Well, because they're going to beat each other up, you're saying. But you know what? I probably could have made the same argument last year, that they were going to beat each other up too. There were a lot of teams that had answers at quarterback, especially in the NFC South. Nothing well, has changed in the NFC teams South. Teams feasted on the Giants. They feasted on the Bears. Aaron Rodgers got hurt, which hurt the Packers, Rodgers obviously. Yeah. Uh, the Bucks had all sorts of issues. We know that. So teams did clean up some, you know, cheap and early well, wins on those guys. But, yeah, I mean. But I guess th- th- what I'm looking at is New Orleans, Carolina, and Atlanta, John, were all in the same division last year. Yeah. They each won 10 games. That's because the Bucks were at really least. bad. Yeah. yeah, but that's difficult to do. For three teams what in was, one division to win the record at least division. ten games, four and two, three and three, and four and two, and the Bucks were one and five. So they got five wins courtesy of the Bucks, and they kind of split their games between the other three teams. 
So, to your point, they beat each other up. But still, two teams had winning division records, which is not easy to do, especially when you look at what's happened with the NFC East every single year. It's hard to go 4-2 and two in the division. I'd have to go through it, and I don't think there's a way for me to look this up. I wish there was, but I think it's an interesting nugget. What do you think the NFC as a conference, their record was against the AFC last year? So, you're talking about one conference against the other? I bet you the NFC did really really well. Well, let's see. The AFC had one, two, three, four teams that won at least 10 games. The NFC had one, two, three, four, five, six. Based on that, I'm going to take a fairly good guess that I think the NFC had a winning record against the AFC, considering there were double the amount of teams, essentially, with double-digit victories. So you figure some of that was a result of out-of-conference games and how they fared. And if you look at the NFC East. Actually, this is pretty easy to figure out. Will you have it in the, the standings? Con- well, we have conf- non-conference records, so that'll be go. that'll do it. Okay. So, um, in the NFC East, NFC East teams finished two games over 500 against the AFC. Um, NFC North teams finished four and four, six and six, ten and six against Another AFC teams. Uh, the NFC East, by the way, was nine and seven, just for accuracy's sake. And that was the AFC West last year. Yeah, the NFC South was 7 and 1, 8 and 4, 10 and 6. Another winning against record. Against the AFC, so you so got that's two divisions so that have, won at least 10 games. So you have 10 and 6 and 10 and 6, that's 20 and 12, plus 9 and 7, you're 29 and 19 right now. Oh, and then good. in the West, oh boy, it gets worse. Just remember that 29 and 19 for me, okay? Yep. In the NFC West, 3 and 1, 3 and 1, 6 and 2, 10 and 2. 12 and 4. Well, I think we have our answer. 41 and what did I say? 29 and 17? 29 you said and 19. Four, four losses, you're adding to 19. 41 and 23. No, NFC nice versus the AFC. That is domination. Yeah. That is domination. So you wonder how that's going to affect the conference. You're going to have some teams that I think could challenge for divisions in the AFC not make the playoffs in the NFC this year. That's my prediction. I know there's no way to prove that. No, but you're but just talking about record and how things play out. Absolutely. I just oh. think talent-wise. I mean, yeah. Well, if you're New England, you feel pretty good about your sure division you do. again. And if, you feel, if you're the Steelers, it, you feel pretty good about it you too. You do. You feel good. And if you're the AFC South, I think multiple teams feel good. Jacksonville, of course, is confident that it could pick up where it left off. But, you know, Deshaun Watson's coming back. If you're Houston, that's encouraging. Andrew Luck's back. That's encouraging. And Marcus Mariota is still a young quarterback. Let me so put it this way. I think all three of those teams should feel at least better than how they finished last if year. If you took any of those AFC South teams, and I'll let you put them in any NFC division, would you consider them the favorite to win that division? Any NFC division? Yes. If I put, hmm, that'd be tough. I'm not saying the Jaguars don't have a shot, but would I make them the favorite? I don't think so. I wouldn't make them the favorite in the north. I wouldn't make them the favorite in the east, and I would certainly not make them the favorite in the south. I think if you're going to make a case for them, maybe in the west. You love the Rams, Rams, I do love the Rams, but I love Jacksonville's defense. And by the way, same deal for the AFC West. I'll let you take any AFC West team. Can you put them in an NFC division and tell me that they're the favorite to win the division? Well, I don't feel as good of any of the AFC West teams as I do the Jacksonville Jaguars, in fairness. And I agree with you. 
Therefore, and I like the Chiefs, but rookie quarter, well, correct. second year quarterback, uh, still, limited experience. Yeah, talking about one regular season start, and the only reason why he started the game was because the Chiefs already clinched the division. And I like the Jack. I, I think that you know me. I was all over the Chargers last year. They were my like surprise sleeper team, and they were one damn win for making the playoffs. And I think they could have made some noise in the playoffs too. But I think the Chargers are going to be very. They have a very talented team. If Phil Rivers can stay healthy and continue playing at a high level. I think they'll be pretty darn good, though. Well, that Hunter Henry injury is going to hurt them. It is, and we'll see what they choose to do at tight end, whether or not they go after Antonio Gates and try to bring him back. There's some speculation, or they just try to develop one of their young guys. I do, obviously, like Melvin Gordon. Uh, I think their defense is a bit underrated. I don't sure. think their defense gets enough respect. Well, their pass rushes no, might have the best well, in the league. But that's the problem. The problem is everybody looks at Ingram and Joey Bosa, and then after that, they don't necessarily talk about the rest of the defense. Secondary actually was very impressive last year, if you look at their numbers. So I agree with you. The Chargers, I probably would make a case that the Chargers should be the favorite, despite Kansas City they are for me. coming back in terms of winning the division. And Phillip Rivers is still a veteran quarterback. And here's the other thing that people forget about the Chargers, John, and I know you you know, briefly t touched on this in terms of them just missing out on the playoffs. They started off dreadful. Remember that game against the Giants? What, both teams were 0-4? And then the Chargers finally won their first game of the season. And then all of a sudden, L.A. got hot and was knocking on the door. And then, if memory serves me correct, they lost in Kansas City. A very rough game for Phillip Rivers. Had a number of interceptions, and that did it for him. How many – take a guess. I just did the math. How many AFC teams out of the 16 do you think had a positive point differential? Positive point differential. Hmm. And then I'm going to ask you the same question for the NFC. Let's see. Out of the 16 teams? Yes. I'll say I'll go with eight, six, six. Okay. That's it. How many do you think in the NFC had a positive point differential? I'll go with nine. Yep, that's correct. Okay, that's nine. That's I mean, I would have been stunned if it was less than that because, like I said, six teams won at least ten games. You would figure yeah. that they had a plus mm -hmm. positive uh, point differential, and it certainly reflected that. No question about it. All right, folks, thanks for joining us. Um, we're not quite saying goodbye, but yes. the live portion of the show is going to be over. Um, yesterday, Lance and I both had, we want to thank Rick Straub, by the way, for joining us. Did a great job from the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, yesterday, Lance and I had a chance to talk to Tim Lester. He was Sam Beals, the Giants' third-round pick in the supplemental draft, his head coach at the University of Western Michigan. Here's our interview with him. The Giants have a new addition to the roster as they took Sam Beal, cornerback out of Western Michigan, in the third round of the supplemental draft. And we are now joined on Big Blue Kickoff Live by a very special guest, a man who has worked very closely with Sam Beal throughout his junior year, and that is Western Michigan head coach Tim Lester. Tim, you got Lance Meadow, John Schmelk with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Giants.com. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Ah, it's going great. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, one of the reasons why we wanted you on the program, Coach, is because you know Sam Beal better than most. What are the Giants getting in a player like that who has three years of experience in college? You know, the biggest thing I, I think you're going to find with Sam is, is you're, as far as a cover guy goes, I mean, it, he's about as good as I've ever seen in the business. I mean, his speed, his hips. I mean, he's he's long. He's a six footer. He can he can run. He can change direction. I mean, when we knew when we put him in man coverage against the best receiver on the other team, that it was it was a lock. You know, no one, no one. We it didn't matter whether we played USC. It didn't matter. Uh, he was a guy that athletically, with that length and speed, could cover anybody. Now, Coach, taking a look at the tape, and based on what you just said, we know you used him a lot in that press man, and that's where he's most comfortable. How much did you ask him to play? 
off coverage, plays some zone, or is that something, if he's asked to do that in the pros, he's going to have to adjust to it and, and maybe figure out a little bit along the way? Yeah, it's not something he's done a ton. Now, he, he did a good job of it. You know, when you have a guy that, that is covers 100%, no one ever catches a ball on him, and he gets into zone. And he we, we misread one or two zones in practice, and it's like a shot to the dude because the dude never made a mistake. Uh, but we don't do it a ton. We'll, we'll press and bail him every once in a while. But our defense, he's, he was pressed, shoot, 99% of the time. And then when we did back him off, we get into third down and longs. We back him off and let him get his eyes on the quarterback. And he did a good job of that, too. But definitely his bread and butter is right up in your face and covering him. Coach, in addition to his coverage skills, obviously a big part of playing the cornerback position in the National Football League is being able to help with the run game and stopping the run. What jumps out to you about his ability to contribute to that facet of the game? A lot of that part, especially with, with secondary guys, is just the willingness to throw their head in there. And he has zero problem doing that. I mean, he is a tough kid. He's one of the, probably, if not the hardest worker on our team, one of them. I mean, he's a guy that can run for days, and you can push him and push him, and, and he responds with a big smile on his face. I don't think I've ever seen him tired. Um, but he has a willingness to stick his nose in there. When we had to come set an edge, he had zero issues, issues doing it. Sometimes he was, we went right and left, so he was to the field sometimes. But when he was in the boundary, he was way more aggressive than our other corner who, who went to the Cincinnati Bengals. He's, he's way more of a hitter. Uh, I think he enjoys that part of it. You know, Coach, um, when he played for you, I believe he was listed around 190 or so pounds, maybe a little bit more, but his pro day, I think he came in at 178, which is pretty light for a corner in the NFL. Um, is that something that you think that he's going to have to work on his body a little bit, get a little bit bigger to survive the rigors of playing a 16-game NFL schedule? No question. I mean, that's something we've talked about with him. And we had him up to 189. We got him over 190 at one point. He was shocked if you should see his face when he weighed in at 177. <laughs> I know it was. A, it was a. I, he looked. I could see on his face. It was like, were you expecting? He's like, coach, I haven't been eating. I haven't been eating a lot. I'm kind of. Ner- I mean, he's been. It was a weird pro day. It was a one man show with 42 members of the NFL there. And uh, and I think he was a little bit nervous because it kind of all happened really fast. And uh, I bet he's right now already up to about 184 because he normally fluctuates in the high 180s. Well, our goal is to get him to 195, and he can definitely carry it. Uh, right. He just needs the time, you know, to to be in a nutritional program that they'll feed him. And he'll, he, I'm, I'm guessing he'll he'll end up playing for the Giants at 190, 195 pounds. We're talking with Tim Lester, head coach of Western Michigan, Coach Sam Beal, who the Giants just acquired through the supplemental draft his junior year. So, Coach, you came in in 2017, right before Sam Beal's junior year. What were your first impressions of Sam, and how much do you think he developed over the course of the one season you coached him? Oh, a ton. My, my first impression with him was I, was I was just in awe of the athletic ability, you know, uh, when you see a guy with that length move like that. I mean, we have two DBs at our level. They normally don't move like – uh, those the shorter ones, you know, and then the ones that have both of the ones that are playing on Sundays, and um, so that was probably the first thing. And then, and then he he had really good coach. I think his technique, he he did rely before this year. He I think he just relied on his speed at the line of scrimmage. He didn't use his hands as a weapon much at the line of scrimmage, and I think that's where he made his biggest improvement. Where I mean, yes, you're athletic enough to make all the moves and adjust to the receiver, but why not just beat him at the line of scrimmage and then your job's easy. And watching him. You know, throwing his hands and punching at the line of scrimmage in the last, you know, 12 months has been amazing to watch him where uh, he's winning a lot before we even get into roots. 
Yeah, Coach, I know you only coached him this previous year, but when he came to Western Michigan, he was a converted wide receiver, and obviously he's made a lot of progress. Um, where do you think the arrow is still pointing up for him? Where is he still developing, and, and what's the next step he needs to take in that development? I think the, I think you hit him. I mean, it's it's pretty easy when you see him. He, he's he got to get his weight up, you know, because he has no problem hitting people. So getting his weight up would be number one. And then the, he just needs more repetition in his own world, you know. And when he's in a team that day after day is having him play off, play some squat too, and, and play some I – mean, he's good at playing third and, and, and running midpoints and, and playing press man because he's done it a ton. Uh, he's just going to need to develop and understand the, that there's more coverages in the NFL, and you're going to have to do a couple more things. And I think that every I think every rookie has to deal with that because there aren't many colleges that have this complex coverage schemes like they do on Sundays. So I think uh, that's kind of the standard. He's got to adjust to that. And in college, the greatest thing is if they do have a coverage that you want a guy to be covered, uh, they got a guy that can do that for sure. Because some some colleges are free to do that. And we're just, we're just one of those ones that live them up at the line of scrimmage, and they get pretty good at that part. You know, Coach, and it's funny. You figure converted wide receiver, he's going to have great ball skills, but the interception numbers were never there. Was that a product of a lack of ball skills or rather the fact that he was in that press man so much with his back facing the quarterback? It's just much tougher for a guy in that scheme to make plays on the ball. And, and that's the funniest thing is people that don't understand football think that in man coverage you you, you would get interceptions nope. and that's exactly the opposite. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, in zone coverage, more eyes on the quarterback, more interceptions you get. So uh, you know, he had a couple of them. He's got to work on high pointing the ball a little more. He's got good hands, but I mean, literally in man coverage, it's turn around and react because the ball's about two feet from you. Sure, uh, you don't get to anticipate and, and undercut something, and and that's he, he his hands are good. He showed that at his pro day. I thought one he let get into his body instead of reaching out and getting it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, ninety nine percent of his reps he was in man coverage, and he did make a couple picks, and he, he's always in position. But it's always going to be a turn in and a reaction to the ball coming screaming in there. So I think the more zone he plays, I think those numbers will go up too. Coach, given his background and his versatility, especially given the fact that he's going to be a rookie, normally those players have to contribute on special teams. I'm curious, number one, how much did you utilize him on special teams, and how much do you think his skill set translates over to contributing in that department? Yeah, we didn't use him a ton, and it wasn't because we we didn't want we didn't need him. I mean, we didn't. We, he he was a guy we had tons of depth, and that's kind of a way we use at our level to develop the young guys. You know, there were times we started getting injuries. We started because I mean, to have a guy run down on kickoff that loves to tackle and can fly, he'd be perfect. And we'd use him here and there, uh, but it was also a time we get the young guys reps because we sure as heck wanted Sam out there every defensive rep. And, uh, and and so they get their reps that they got were on special teams. That's kind of how we developed them here. But he has the skill set to do it. The biggest thing is his willingness to stick his nose in there and his ability to run down and avoid avoid blocks. And then he he was always involved. And he just he only gives one speed. That's one of the things. He reminded me of I coached uh, at Western Michigan in the mid two thousands, and EJ Biggers and Lewis Delmas were two NFL players yep. that we had. And, they were the most fun two guys to ever coach because they just love playing football and competing every day. And Sam is exactly like them. That was the first thing I thought when I got to coach him. Is wow, this guy reminds me of those two who both spent I think, seven to nine years in the league and played uh, very high level. So he, he will compete no matter what you put him. If you put him in there as a holder, he compete as a holder. <laughs> Uh, that's just that's just his mo, you know, and that's that's fun to coach. Coach, how much did you use him in the slot, and and how does his skill set uh, translate to the unique skills you need to be a slot corner? You have a two way release, and it's almost more about quickness than speed at that position. 
And that'll be good for, for, for the way he came along, transferring from receiver to DB, you know, and his lack of being able to punch, you know, punch hard with the inside and use the, use the, the sideline as your second defender. Like, you can't do that in a sense. Yeah. I mean, unless you know you have help somewhere, you're going to have to just sit there and turn and react. And he did that for two two or three years, sometimes when he didn't need to, playing an outside corner. <laughs> like, hey, you don't need to do that, dude. You're making it harder on yourself. Yeah. And uh, so he has that ability, you know, and, and he'll, he'll learn that and you put him in the slot and he'll be, he'll be fine. He'll have to know where his help is. And But just the pure reaction of being able to turn and run, that's kind of how he played outside corner for his first two years. And then we started letting him – you know, teaching him that the sideline was his help, and go ahead and punch and be hard on the inside, and then run, and uh, and he he became even even stronger out there. So I think watching, I've seen him do both. I don't know if he knows he was doing inside slot corner or outside corner at the time, but he has the skill set to do both. Got it. Talking with Tim Lester, head coach of Western Michigan, coach Sam Bill, his junior year, as Sam Bill was just selected in the supplemental draft by the Giants. Coach, he's going to be entering a cornerback group that's got a mix of veterans as well as young guys. What is Sam Beal like in the locker room? How well did he mesh with his teammates from what you observed? Yeah, the kids loved him. I mean, he's he's not a he's not a talker. He's not. He'll be quiet. He won't he won't talk unless he's talking to him. I you know, I, I used to love to you know, I'm I'm an ex quarterback guy, so I'm talking trash to the DBs all the time before <laughs> practice. Well, I'm sure you did a lot of trash kids. talking in the XFL coach. We did. We did. <laughs> and uh so I'm I'm like, Man, we are coming after you today, Sammy. And he just smile. You know, so he's not a big verbal guy. He he does all his leading. I would say he was a leader on our team purely by the way he worked out every single day. People would watch and be like, "Hey, that's one of our best players. He, he wins every single sprint. Uh, he always has a smile on his face. You can't get him down." Um, but he won't be a talker, and he'll probably end up. He'll probably find his way towards the veterans and just and just listen and and, uh, and and try to to replicate what they do because that's just his personality. He's not going to be a huge outgoing guy. Uh, he just likes to show up and work and, and, and has fun in, in a quiet way. You know, Coach, and you mentioned the process, and it was a strange pro day, and you don't get many high-level players in the supplemental draft. And if you do, it's usually a guy that has some off-the-field issue that screwed up their eligibility the following year, and that's why they're there. Uh, from all accounts, that's not the case with Sam. He's a really good kid, no issues, no problems. How has he handled this whole process where he's going into the supplemental draft, and it's really something that a lot of kids don't know how to deal with, and they haven't had to deal with anything like that before. He did a great job. I mean, he we, we brought him in, and it just got to the point academically uh, where it, it was getting to the percentages where it was too too close that he wasn't going to make it. And, you know, as much as I want to coach Sam again, my job is to do what's best for my players. So we brought him in and said, this is your best bet right now. And, and that hurt him a little bit because he wanted to come back. You know, and, and and a lot of the scouts were telling us that if he came back, he might have been a first-round draft pick next year. Wow! You know, and and so that's why they said come back because you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna just rise and I get you to win Indy and you play one more year and you're gonna you're gonna be a high high guy. And academically, it didn't work out that way. And for for one month straight, I mean, he had to try to get him to what God boy most guys do in three months. He had to do in one month. Yeah. And uh, and he he decided he wanted to train at our school with our trainer. Which was awesome, you know, because there's some familiarity there. A lot of guys would go ship off down to Arizona or Florida, and and uh, you know, he, he wanted to stay there with our guy, and, and we had some help with some people coming in and working on some of the stuff. And he, he was, you know, working on all the different nuances of the, the combine drills that you can drop a tenth here. His numbers were unbelievable 
uh, and he didn't even have three months to train for all those, like the three cone and all the little things, the little nuances that, uh, you know, they, they made him redo one of his five ten fives because I guess his left hand hit the ground when he was touching with his right. I didn't even know that was illegal. And then he went <laughs> up there and fixed it and ran the fastest time of anybody. And, uh, so he just was learning as he went and he, he handled it very well. And, and he's excited about the opportunity. I know that. Well, Coach, speaking of that short timeline that he had to deal with that you just talked about, I think it's interesting because now he's joining the Giants when they already had their entire spring offseason program and they're going to start training camp. So he hasn't had access to the playbook, hasn't interacted much with the Giants coaching staff. What is that transition going to be like for him given the fact that he already had to deal with a quick transition, as you mentioned, going through the supplemental process? Yeah, it's gonna be hard. I mean, you, you talk about those those, those rookie mini camps. That's huge for those guys. That to, so when the vets come in and and everything gets real here in a couple of weeks, that that you're ready to go. And that's so I, I told him. I said, hey, they picked you for a reason. You know, this before we knew where he was going. Like this is gonna be difficult. You gonna find yourself a veteran and study. You know, and he he loves football and he's gonna study hard and. The good thing is he has the athletic ability to go along with it. Being a guy that tried to make the NFL, I had to be perfect because I wasn't the most talented. I couldn't just rely on my talent to get me through the first get practice or first month. Everything had to be mentally on par because it wasn't going to be the physical. There's a lot of guys like that that are just smart, and they're always in the right place. And, and he has the athletic tools that as he gets smarter and as he gets more comfortable and as he gets around the veterans, I think you're just going to see his play just continue to spike up. Coach, uh, final question for me, and I apologize, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but a lot of times I feel like college coaches always have a good story or anecdote that kind of tells fans something about a player that you can't know from just watching him play football on the football field. Do you have any sort of personal experience with, with Sam in that regard that can maybe give the fans some insight as to the type of person that he is? Me and Sam, not, not really. I mean, the, I think of one story every time. It's, and it's not anything major that happened. It's just watching him. He has. I brought. I brought him in, and we have we have a young receiving core here at Western Michigan, and, and we're not the toughest. And our goal this spring was to get tough. And so I told him I, I gave I put like a mission on him that I wanted him to get in everyone's face and try to get every single one of my wideouts to fight him. <laughs> we needed. And Sam is the guy that he lives on that level, but he never loses his mind. He never got a personal foul, but he also plays like he's ready to fight everybody. You know, that's that fine line that all the great ones can play with. Sure. You know, and uh, and it would be so, I mean, he would just time and time again, teach my wideouts to, to, to just give back what he's given to him, you know, and then he would always turn around and look at me and smile and wink. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing. And my guys, I mean, my guys are much tougher now. I mean, they, they'd get up and they'd shake hands at the end of every brawl that happens at the line of scrimmage during one-on-one. Oh, that's great. And Sam would just smile and wink at me every time. And it was uh it was, he did a heck of a job. That's great, Coach. I love it. Well, if that's the case, I'm sure he's going to love to start a training camp here with the Giants Hello? when these guys are dying to hit each other. Hello, Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good luck with that. I, I, would, I want to see that first one on that for sure. Yeah, I think Giants fans yeah. can relate to that as well. He is the yeah. head coach of Western Michigan, Tim Lester. Coach, greatly appreciate the time and the inside. Thanks for joining us here on the program and providing some great stuff on Sam Bill. 
All right, have a good one, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Coach. You got it. So once again, Tim Lester weighing in on what Sam Beal will bring to the New York Giants. A lot of great information. It seems to be a player that's got a lot of competitive fire in him. Yeah, absolutely, and I like the fact that he'll just put his head down and go about his business and, you know, said he's a hard worker and doesn't, you know, talk a lot, which is always a good thing. And he is going to have to get right back to work as Giants training camp will be around the corner. So once again, we thank Tim Lester for weighing in here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be up and running again at noon Eastern tomorrow as we continue our previews of the Giants 2018 opponents. For John Schmelk, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your day right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.